0: Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Money FM 89.3. Good morning, it's The Breakfast Huddle. Elliot Danker and Ryan Huang with you. It is time now for our EuroWatch segment. Yep, that's when we take a look at headlines coming out of the European region. Uh, latest on the recently axed European Parliament Vice President Eva Kalle's corruption scandal. to highlights from the first ever EU-ASEAN summit. On the line to talk more about this is Alex Capri, Research Fellow at Henrik Foundation. Good morning, Alex. How are you? Good morning. It has been a while and quite a few headlines to get through, starting off with the European Parliament Vice President, Greek Member of the European Parliament, Ava Kali, being accused of taking bribes from World Cup host Kata, as if uh, they weren't going through enough scandals. Who else is involved in this scandal? What else do we know so far?
1: Well, we know that there are at least five other people, including Ms. Kalli's husband, And, you know, in another capacity. But I think what's telling about this is that it really, I think, exposes the lack of checks and balances and controls, particularly in the European Parliament, compared to, for example, the Council of the EU or the European Commission. The Parliament seems to not really have any real checks and balances around reporting gifts, meetings, conflicts of interest. So I think there's a credibility problem here that's going to have to be addressed swiftly.
0: Mm. Would we expect something like, you know, you tend to get like a task force or something like that to sort of clean up or put in place, as you mentioned, check and balances?
1: Well, whatever happens, it has to be certainly done in a way that it's a priority. In other words, that transparency, that the body itself really takes seriously its own credibility and obviously trustworthiness and I, here, I think transparency is going to be very, very important, and they're going to have to move very swiftly.
0: Mm. What can we expect with regard to Cali in terms of the punishment in that sense?
1: Well, that's a good question. Again, if the European Parliament is going to be seen to be taking this seriously, one would expect that the punishment would be you know, somewhat substantial. In other words not only to show that they do take it seriously, but also to discourage future incidents like this. So I think a lot of people are going to be very interested to see what kind of punitive measures are
0: taken. Mm. There's been a lot of scrutiny on Qatar because of the World Cup, you know, things to migrant workers, diversity and and whatnot, which we all read about in the newspapers. You add on this scandal. Does this make I don't know, future business or future deals. Does that put it under more spotlight? Does that make people more cautious?
1: No question. I mean, you take both Qatar and FIFA, the amount of exposure that both of them have been getting around ethical issues and standards and corruption, this is going to make both of those entities somewhat radioactive, if you will, you know, when it comes to doing future business with them and certainly um, the due diligence process, the know your customer process that's going to have to take place um, is going to have to be pretty visible. I think it's going to have to be something that others that are doing transactions and doing business
0: with these entities are going to really have to go out of their way to show that they are doing their due diligence. Mm, compliance nightmare, potentially. Alex, let's talk about the first ever EU ASEAN Summit. For you, what were some of the highlights of the summit so far? You know, Establishing deeper
1: economic ties was foremost. And the goal of going beyond existing free trade agreements and establishing perhaps a region-to-region FTA, I think, stands out. I think the other thing is that it's impossible to look at EU-ASEAN relations without also considering the overarching geopolitical issues. So, for example, when the, the topic of territorial integrity came up, Um, There was a lot of discussion about Russia's invasion of Ukraine and how ASEAN members were reacting and were also going to deal with future sanctions. As you know, Singapore imposed sanctions, but other members of ASEAN did not. They voted the UN not to impose sanctions, including Vietnam and Thailand in particular. So the geopolitical component is important and will continue to be, and the territorial integrity also applies to things happening in our neck of the woods right? Mm -hmm. The South China Sea, for example. So the values around things like territorial integrity were important. And of course, they talked about decarbonization, green transition. ASEAN talked about investing in both EU and ASEAN talked about working together on infrastructure. So all of the usual things that one would expect, but underlying all of this is the will to continue to push for deeper economic ties Mm -hmm. and to ascribe certain values. what those ties
0: would look like. Mm, I understand Brussels was a bit reluctant to discuss a trade pact as well. Well,
1: in terms of of the depth and the the comprehensiveness of these things, that's an ongoing discussion for For sure. sure.
0: Okay. Alex, at the start of our conversation, when, when I knew we were going to talk about this, I sort of had this assumption, and, and do correct me if I'm wrong, is it right to say that the EU and ASEAN, they kind of need each other when you look at the global landscape as a bit of a counterbalance to the geopolitical rivalry between the United States and China? Is it too naive to assume that?
1: No, not at all. I, I, you know, I think it's very important to recognize the fact that many countries and parts of the world don't really want to have to be put in a position of making a binary choice, you know, China or the United States. And so the degree to which they can have agency to be able to forge independent trade ties, independent economic ties, I think is a very important element of, you know, the global trade landscape, the global commerce landscape going forward. So I don't think it's at all naive to, to look at it from that angle.
0: Uh, Alex Capri, Research Fellow at Henrik Foundation, on the line with me. Let's talk about the plans for the European Union's carbon border adjustment mechanism. That one took a significant step forward after a provisional deal between the Council of the EU and the members of the European Parliament was reached. Tell us a little bit more about this world's first carbon border tariff. Do we have a start date yet?
1: Well, it's on track to start uh, sometime in 2023. Okay. As you know, the, the EU has a very aggressive goal to cut greenhouse gas emissions by more than half by 2030. And you know, part of that means that they're going to be measuring carbon footprints of carbon intensive imports. So they intend to cover uh, various goods and, and sectors. So they're gonna focus on things like fertilizers, cement, aluminum, steel, iron, electricity, any of these things. That are sourced from abroad, if they have a high carbon footprint, then, you know, obviously the CBAM, as they call it, Mm -hmm. the carbon uh, border adjustment mechanism is going to be instrumental in influencing trade and behaviors. I think what's interesting about the CBAM is that it's designed to influence standards and it's designed to align the EU with other countries that have those same standards when it comes to carbon emissions and, and decarbonization. So this is going to adversely impact developing countries, a country for example, like India, that is slated to to have its growth, its economic growth, essentially fueled by 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 fossil fuels, mm-hmm. by coal. I do see this border adjustment mechanism creating tensions, I think, between developed and developing countries, certainly the and developing countries going forward, and we will hear more discussion around the EU and the, you know, the G, essentially the G7 countries, the, the, the more industrialized countries, investing money in developing countries
0: to their decarbonization efforts Mm, certainly sends a message uh, to the rest of the international community Alex just a final word and this takes us to the UK where Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is uh, this is the most challenging uh, start to a premiership ever because he is now dealing with UK train strikes. Apparently, this uh, strike is supposed to last for something like four weeks. We're also getting details that starting today, we will have uh, the UK nurses going uh, on strike for the first time in 106 years. And all of this is over pay. The inflation picture, the, the, the recession picture. I mean, I've got an impossible question. Where do you see this going?
1: Well, look, I, I don't know exactly how far this goes and to what level of chaos we see before these issues get resolved, but these are big systemic yeah. issues that, as you say, they deal with, uh, with job security, with quality of life and job, you know, with things like terms and conditions, kind of a race to the bottom, mm. job cuts, pay. These are uh, things that are not unique to the UK. These are issues that are afflicting all economies, all developed economies. These are issues that governments are going to have to come to terms with when it comes to providing secure jobs you know jobs that have all of the, these attributes right. that will enable uh, the existence of a middle class right mm. that will enable you know a, a stable day to day economic Standard, you know, in, in, in a country. So this is big. And, and certainly, you know, 2023 is looking to start out as quite a tumultuous year. And I think the UK sort of leads the way, right, when it comes yeah. to, you know, open economies and, you know, these types of things.
0: Hmm. doesn't help that uh, they've already won or we've already read warnings that uh, where the UK is concerned, we could see two years of tough economic times. We'll probably see even more of these strikes going forward.
1: Well, I don't know what's going to prevent more of these mm. until these these fundamental yeah. issues start getting addressed. And, yeah. and you know, I, I don't think this is just a, a government, you know, something that governments can fix. This is going to have to be a collective effort. Right. You know, public-private partnerships, you know, local industry and commerce is going to have to mm. team up with government. And, you know, things like providing upskilling, transitions mm. to new types of jobs – these are really serious issues that all governments are, are going to be facing. Mm.
0: I've been speaking with Alex Capri, who is research fellow at Henrik Foundation. Alex, I appreciate your time this morning. Take care and have a great day ahead. My pleasure. Thank you.
1: To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.